This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Uh, Today, I believe that God is going to speak to us through his word uh, as well. I'm going to title my message today, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Hey, if you're following along uh, on the Bible app, I know we had a technical snag last week. If you notice a technical snag, bring it to attention. Somebody will correct it. But if you scan that QR code, it's going to bring up the notes that we have for today. And you can follow along uh, the verses today so that you don't miss anything as we go about our notes. If you like note taking, uh, the Bible app is a great place where you can add your own notes uh, as we go. People don't see those notes. Those are private notes that you can go back into during the week and do your devotionals on, so on and so forth. Or if you're an old timer like me that likes journaling and uh, a notebook and a pen, uh, hey, do that. I'll power to you as well, okay? But uh, I'm titling my message today, Blessed are the Peacemakers, or uh, Peacemakers in short. I'm going to title my message, Peacemakers. Uh, how many of you during your week or last week, or it could be any, any time, you just wished that you had five minutes of peace and quiet? Anybody? Like you've been through your busy day, uh, okay? Uh, the kids are running all over, around the house, screaming at you, jumping all over you, and you just wished in your mind, I just wish I had, a, I had peace and quiet for 10 minutes. Or, or some parents are like, two minutes is good, just, just two minutes. I remember when uh, my six-year-old daughter, now she was two years old, and uh, I still remember that she would follow us everywhere uh, in the house. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember that phase, if your parents, or if you were that kid, uh, that you probably followed your parent all around the house. And I still remember whenever I I would go to the kitchen, she would follow me. I go to my office, she would follow me. Wherever I was, she would follow me. I see Carissa doing that. I see Nora slowly starting to do that as well. But uh, I, I still remember this incident that happened where I walked into the bathroom one day, and what do kids do when you walk into the bathroom? They have no respect for space, right? So they want to be in your lives more than any other time when you go to the bathroom, okay? When it's your time to be peaceful (laughs) and quiet, and we are like, I'm going to take some extended time in this room because I want less noise. That's when they feel like they need to cry. They need you. They need to be clingy. And sure enough, she followed me. I was kind of frustrated because I was like, I just need some peace and quiet right now. My first child, no experience with children, you know, terrible twos. And I just looked at her and said, Michaela, I said, Mickey, could you please give me two minutes? She just looked at my face and she said, hmm, okay, Dada. And then she turned around, walked around the corner, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. And as I was closing the door, right, because she opened the door, she opened the door, barge. as I was closing the door, she pops her head back in. Right when I think that she was gone, right? And I was like, excuse me? I asked you for two minutes. And she goes, she reaches out to her imaginary back pocket and says, here you go. <laughs> the, 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 the mind of a child is beautiful. It's, uh, it's very nice because we were, uh, just a few days before that, we were talking about money. And uh, we were play- playing with imaginary dollars and how she was uh, storing all her money in her pocket. So she reached out to the back pocket to grab her dollar. She thought two minutes was two dollars. And she wanted to give it to me. But all of us wish that we had 
two minutes of peace and quiet. Some of us wish for more than that. Some of us have been going through a hard season in life, and you're like, God, I just want peace. I just want some quiet. I just want these, this tumultuous season that I've been through or that I'm going through to kind of just cease, to, to kind of just you know, calm down. And this is where we approach Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, 10, and 11. Uh, actually, even 12 we go to. But these four powerful pa- verses, I know that we've been doing single verses so far over the last few weeks, but we're going to do four verses. I hope we get through four verses. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. This is what the Bible says. You can follow along as we read. The, the verses are on the screen, but I encourage you to open up your Bibles on your phones or on your, uh, your actual Bibles if you brought that with you and follow along. This is what the Bible says. I'm reading from the ESV. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. He ends the Beatitudes with this strange verse. And he says, when all of this happens, these, this, this, this cursing and the, 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 the putting down and the insulting and the persecuting happens, he said, this is what you do. Don't retaliate. He says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so the persecuted, the pro- for, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We kind of went over six beatitudes before this. The word beatitude is from the Greek word makarios, which means blessed, which means uh, you are fully, uh, fully blessed by God. It's a spiritual blessing that the word makarios tries to convey to us. I don't mean to bombard you with the Greek, but it's important to understand and differentiate between spiritual blessedness and the blessedness that this world uh, defines to us and tells us what blessedness is all about. But in Matthew chapter 5, we've been through a, a, couple of, a, a bunch of different attitudes, so to speak, that Christians must and should have. In the first six of those attitudes, we talked about how blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then we talked about how blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. We talked about the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are, are, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. These six describe the condition of our heart and what God can do with our hearts. These six attitudes, God takes us through this journey of saying God can change hearts. And as we groom ourselves, as we we position ourselves to receive from him, I pray that God will make us more like him. He brings his disciples close to him and says, what makes you disciples are going to be these attitudes that's going to describe you, that's going to define you, that's going to mold you to be Christ-like. So these first six, God changes our hearts. And today as we talk about the seventh and eighth beatitude, the seventh describes what the changed heart does, what we do to change the world. The first part was what God does inside of us 
And now the second part of these Beatitudes, or the last two Beatitudes, is what do we do with those attitudes that we have as Christians? We ought to take those attitudes and we got to take it out to the world and be an influence and a blessing to the world. It's going to tell us what changed hearts do. It's going to describe as to what Christians are meant and ought to do in the world outside. We're strategically placed on our university campuses, in our jobs, in our businesses, in the different places and arenas of life that God takes us to. God looks at us and says, you ought and have to be and challenge yourself to be an influence in every area of the life, in every area of your life. And he says the seventh one is where we go and change the world. And he says, it starts with making peace. Someone said peacemaker. This is what the Bible is encouraging us and talking to us about. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. There are three categories of people. There are peace fakers. The peace fakers are the ones that don't really seek peace. We just avoid conflicts. Classic example is me. I don't like conflicts. I try to avoid them. Some ignore it. They pretend that it doesn't exist. You avoid that person that causes conflict altogether. You know that one person at, job, at, your, at your job, you just don't want to have lunch with them. You know what I'm saying? Like you have nothing to do with them because they make your life more and more miserable. And then there are peace breakers. Peace breakers are the ones that attack when they get offended. We live in a very offended culture today. You offended me. You offended my feelings. You hurt my feelings. So what am I going to do? I'm going to break your arm. I'm going to break your feelings. I'm going to break you. Just wait and watch. Watch what I can do. We want to always prove a point. And if it's within the church, if the church doesn't help me, what am I going to do? I'm going to break the church's leg too. I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm not going to be around. And then there are peacemakers that the Bible talks about. Not the peacekeepers. There are plenty of peacekeepers. The ones that keep the peace, the ones that don't cause the drama, the ones that, and the majority of us are that, is, is the ones that, you know, just come, they worship God, they have a genuine heart for God, a genuine heart for people, and all you want is to serve, and serve God, serve others, and those are peacekeepers. But Jesus here is not talking about peacekeepers, he's talking about the peacemakers. He wants us to be peacemakers, not peace breakers, not peace fakers, he wants us to be peace, someone say peacemakers. He wants us to be a part of the solution, not the problem. There's so many people that are part of the problem that God says, I want people to come up with solutions. The first thing I want to leave with you is God has called us to be a church that breaks the tension. That breaks the tension. We're called to be creators and maintainers of peace. When the Bible says, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, that word peacemakers, when you translate it literally, it literally means creators, and not just creators, but maintainers of peace. It's not a, hey, someone else create the peace, and I'll just maintain it. It's a, no, I want to create the peace, and I will do my due diligence to maintain that peace as well. Why, does Christian, why are Christians mandated to do that? Because Jesus told us to do that. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. That's what he said. He said, my peace I give unto you. See, peace is not an emotion. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. It's Jesus Christ. He says, I give myself to you. And because I give myself to you, you then have the responsibility to take me and give it to the rest of the world. We have so much to give, y'all. We have so much to give. When I keep talking about this, I get, I get passionate about this because we are people that are called to walk in peace. 
The word peace there means shalom. It means wholeness. It means fullness. Here's where I want to go with, with this passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Let's start here, and then we'll talk about a few things, okay? 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, someone say in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, a new thing has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to pause right there. The Bible says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All of us are made new through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because of that, in the second verse, it says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. Peace was his idea. Reconciliation was his idea. Reconciliation was the idea of the Almighty God because we were estranged. We were orphans. We were outside. We didn't deserve peace. We didn't deserve hope and love and forgiveness because God looked at us, the wretched mankind and the wretched humankind, and he said, you need someone to come and restore you from where you are. And therefore, he reckoned, reconciled us to himself and gave us. What then did he do? He just didn't reconcile us to himself. He also gave us a job. Someone say a job. What is our job as Christians? It's this. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Each person sitting over here is a minister of Jesus Christ. It's just not a pastor that preaches from stage on a Sunday morning. It's just not a worship leader that sings from the stage on a Sunday morning. Each person that sits over here and listens to the word of God has a duty, a divine duty to take the reconciliation and the peace and the mercy and the grace of God that we experience in our lives day after day and translate that into our everyday walk. I pray that we will see, that, that we will see the need for reconciliation in the world. If God is there, why is there so much of unrest in the world? It's because God is looking at us and saying, yes, I am peace, but I've given you peace and you're not doing your job. Am I talking to somebody? Like there's a lack of peacemakers that need to go and make an impact in the world. He says the ministry of reconciliation, he gave us the ministry, which means you and I are supposed to be engaged in this ministry. Verse 19, that is in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. He entrusted us with that message to take it to the ends of the world. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal to us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Unless and until we are reconciled with God, unless and until we make peace with God, and unless and until we understand that peace is God and from God and that we have received peace, we can never become peacemakers. I pray that we will understand what true peace means. The Bible says he came to establish peace between us and between God, and we bring this peace, we bridge the gap. Christ reconciled and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This reconciling is the same word for peace. It's peacemaking. Not causing separation. Peacemaking does not cause division. It doesn't cause strife. It doesn't cause gossip. Peacemakers don't set up people against each other. Peacemaking don't, don't gossip against each other. Peacemaking doesn't mean that one person talks behind somebody else's back. Am I talking to you? I'm, I'm stepping on some toes today. 
A divided church cannot, cannot heal a divided world. I'm going to say that again. A divided church cannot heal a divided world. A united church can heal a divided world. But unless and until we understand that unity comes from God and God is peace, we will not understand the power that God has given us to translate that peace, take that peace, and show it to the world. This is important, y'all. The world lacks it. Somebody once told me, when you walk into a room, always be a thermostat. Don't be a thermometer. There are two kinds of people in this world. The thermostat kind of people and thermometer kind of people. A thermometer reflects the climate of the room. If the room is cold, it's cold. If the room is hot, it's hot. But the thermostat can change the climate of the room. By its, by, by, by its setting, a, thermo, a thermostat can change the cold room into one that is warm. It can change a hot room into one that is cool. And a peacemaker is a thermostat person. A peacemaker can change the climate of the room when he or she walks in. Have you ever seen that happen? You probably have a friend that does that. Like, it might be a very, very, like, very, very crazy situation, like, very hostile situation. There might be something going on. It could be a family situation. It could be a fight. But one person is all it needs to walk into the room, and all the tension in the room just dissipates. One person is all it takes. For me, that was my dad. One look for him was all that, that we needed. It wasn't words. It wasn't uh, timeouts. It was just a look. And when you saw that look, you knew. No matter what tension, no matter what egos were built up in the room, it had to be squashed because there, there's, there's this ability that some people have, this grace that some people have, the anointing that some people have to come into any hostile situation and say, I am the thermostat. I will dictate the, the temperature of this room. Might be a room where everybody's negative and complaining and, and everything is going wrong. A th the thermostat person enters the room and soon says something that causes people to say, man, we never thought of it like that. Oh, man, we, we shouldn't have even had this discussion because we weren't thinking of it the right way. See, God wants peacemakers. He wants peacemakers in the church. He wants peacemakers in your family. He wants peacemakers in your marriage. Who are you talking about, pastor? Somebody else? No, 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 one of y'all. Either the husband or the wife. Like some of us need to put down our egos. We want peacemakers out in the world who will never dwell on the negative but can concentrate on the positive and see the good things God is doing in his church and in the world. That's like Jesus. Jesus had the ability to change things. He was the thermostat that walked into any situation. He was the thermostat that got up from the boat, literally looked at the storms and the seas and said, be calm, be still, and they obeyed. I am looking for peacemakers and I'm wanting to be inspired by peacemakers in this church that will stand up and say, I will be the difference that this world needs to see. Matthew 8, 26, the Bible says, he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. Jesus changes things. He's, and, and, and he calls us to be a peacemaker too. Be a thermostat. Look at someone sitting next to you and say, be a thermostat. And, and let me tell you this, it's more harder to make peace than to keep peace. Nowadays, man, everything is turned into a political thing. Every single thing. Somebody blamed the, the, the food at the state fair this year on, on politics. 
I'm like, really? Ephesians 2 verse 14 says this, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. See, Jesus in all his efforts does that. He walks into any room and breaks the tension of the room. He himself is our peace who has made two one. His effort is always, let's make two one. Let's bring two together. That's his effort. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. God's effort is always that. When that curtain tore from, 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 the, from the top to the bottom, God was looking at mankind and said, there's nothing that's going to separate me from you anymore. There's nobody that's going to come in between us anymore. So we have direct access to him. Everything that blocks us from getting to him, that was reconciled. My question is, are we builders of hostility or are we squashers of hostility? Verse 10, the Bible says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So just review. The first six describe the condition of our heart. God changes our heart. Poor in spirit, mourn. Those who mourn, those who, those who are meek, hunger and thirst, merciful, pure in heart. God changes our heart. The seventh one, is, it describes what the changed heart does. We change the world. We are peacemakers. Now number eight is where the world will fight back. When we want to go and influence the world, the world's not going to have it. See, a lot of Christians don't want to be peacemakers because you get pushed back from the world. We're going to have some real conversations right now. Christians are afraid of being peacemakers. Christians are afraid to stand up for what they believe in. Christians are afraid to stand up for values that are, are, are inherently so, so, so deep in the Word of God. They're, they're afraid. They're, they're okay just coming on a Sunday morning and professing their faith, but not Monday through Saturday because they're afraid that they might get pushed back. Someone say pushback. Push what are you talking about, Pastor? The Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Because guess what? When, you're, when your effort is to change the world, the devil's not going to like that. When the enemy senses that we're trying to do our part in bringing peace to the world, he hates it. Do you know the absence of peace and war is from the devil? I want us to understand this. Persecution can come from different forms. Okay, persecution that is in India or in some of the Muslim countries in the world is not what the persecution in America looks like. I told you this a few weeks ago, but there was an anti-conversion bill that was passed in India to, not too long ago. I was on the phone with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and he said that anybody, that if the, the government has passed a law, that if people get baptized in the church that, or, or anywhere, like they, they can't baptize people. If anybody, if a pastor baptizes somebody and the government finds out about it, right, it's 10 years of imprisonment. 10 years of imprisonment for pastors or anybody that baptizes people because they have put it in the minds of people that there is forced conversions that are going on. And we are sitting here and we are enjoying the luxury of being in the presence of God and worshiping Him where there are many countries in the world. Persecution means that they have to hide and they have to go undercover. There are so many people that are afraid to go to churches because they don't know what's going to happen in their lives. Oh, pastor, what's, what's wrong with that? Oh, okay, ten, you know, just go or 10 years in jail. They probably might be, they might get bail. No, no, it's a non-bailable offense. Non-bailable. 
That's what persecution, you know what persecution here in America looks like? It, it, it's in the form of work, in the form of school. Now, now, not that I'm putting one down and putting the other, but I have to speak to y'all today, right? Into, into where, where you're going through. Some countries have persecution. Like I said, and in the Western world, persecution means isolation. The, the, the persecution that you face for Jesus comes in the form of isolation where people don't want anything to do with you. Where people say, oh, you're, you're not cool anymore. Where you're not the popular bunch, part of the popular bunch anymore. Where it comes in the form of gossip, people talking about you. Causing you to suffer financially. It might be at work. Probably not giving you that promotion because of what you believe in. Probably that HR department telling you to wear that rainbow flag. To force you to use pronouns on your email signature because you're not supposed to offend anybody. Oh, I'm preaching today. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. Oh, pastor, but what if I get laid off? That's what persecution means. That's what it means. It's because I stand up for what I believe in and because I stand up for what is right and because I stand up for what is true, because I stand up and I want to choose to be a peacemaker. There are things that I have to sacrifice. There are things that I have to give up. Oh, um, but check this out. Verse 11, this is what the Bible says. Blessed are you when others insult and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, verse 11, now this is not another beatitude. This is just a commentary on the previous beatitude. Now, I want you to listen closely. The Bible says all kinds of evil against you means they are saying that you do evil things. That's what the Bible says. Falsely, the world gets a kick. The world persecutes you when they tell people that you do something that you didn't do. When they tell you that you are somebody that you really are not. When the government infiltrates in the minds of people that, oh, these are Christians and they're, they're forcefully converting people. They're not telling the whole story of life change and people that were in sin and people that were in idolatry and people that were, that were, that, that were, in, that were in sickness and, and, and in, had cancer and all of that. They were healed as soon as they came. They're not telling them that story of people willfully coming into the press. All they want to let people know is Christians, bad. Christians, bad. Christians, bad. Why? Because they're changing us. They're transforming us. They're making us this. We are this. They're making us that. So let's make it illegal. I need you to get this. And I'm talking about one part of the world. But all kinds of evil against you means that they're saying that you do evil things. The way the world can persecute you is when they can insult you. That's what the Bible says. And the second thing is when they can convince everyone that you're evil. Now, I want you to pay close. If you don't pay close attention, you're not going to catch this. Because we need this message. We need, someone say, we need this. Because here's the thing. If you want to turn a population against a group of people, and let's say Christians in this example, all you have to do is fabricate falsehood and spread lies. Are you ready for this? It's going to change you. How many of you have been a victim of this before? In some way or the other. Some people cannot have conversations with someone else without talking about other people. Like you can't have a straight conversation with somebody without bringing somebody else up. Like what disease is that? 
Can we not just sit across somebody and ask them about them, how their day was, what something about their life, instead of saying, hey, by the way, did you hear about Miriam? We don't have any Miriams here. If we do, please forgive me. Did you hear? And the moment you say that, there is a spark. <gasps> what? Let's talk about Miriam now. Miriam's not here. Let's talk about Miriam. Hmm. Like I said, I'm not going to get too many amens today, but that's okay. See, the only way someone can start or maintain a conversation with people if they're actually talking about someone. Like, think about ancient, like, like the ancient world, like ancient Rome. They spread lies and said Christians were cannibals. Okay? They said that, you know why? Because of Holy Communion. They did a literal translation. This is the body and this is the, the blood. And they said Christians consume blood and Christians consume flesh. And every, they just walked around telling everybody, they're cannibals, they're cannibals, cannibals. So guess what they did? The Romans believed what the Romans said and what their leaders said, and they started stoning people. They started lighting people on fire under the rule of Nero. They started taking Christians and started using them as torches in the marketplace and in the public squares because they were cannibals. I, I think you know where I'm going with this. The world spreads lies about church, the, the church and Christians to turn the population against them. In John, the first John chapter four and verse five, Jesus told us about this. I want you to hear up. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. It's like, are you surprised is what, what God is looking at us and saying, man, these guys, they speak from the viewpoint of the world. And there is a whole group of people and they have an audience who will like, who will subscribe, who will share because that's what they want to believe. What about America? Christians. They're just a hateful bunch, you know. Now the word, the word that everyone likes to use is hateful. We're hateful. Christians are hateful. We just hate on others. We just hate on people that don't think like us. We just hate the people that don't believe the same things that they do. We're homophobes. We're bigots. We're narrow-minded. Come on, and you could probably add to this list, but these are the things that we get as Christians. And it's not happened today. This, it didn't start yesterday. They, they've done this through history. Christians have historically been hated and persecuted. Right, they, 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 they said that we Christians persecute colored people and people, and we are racist and we believe in slavery and so on and so forth. Now I want you to think about these things. Here's John 15, 19. If you were off the world, the world would love you as its own. Listen, you as a Christian are meant to be hated. Oh brother, that doesn't want me to be a Christian. Well, that's the truth. You chose a path. You chose a life. You chose Jesus. And when you chose Jesus, you basically said, the world's going to hate me. And the Bible literally says this. If you are off, the, someone say off the world. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not off the world. Someone say not off the world. But I choose you out of the world. Someone say out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. 
This isn't something that started yesterday. It's not something that just began. But when you, when you try to change the world, when I try to change the world, when we are trying to be peacemakers, remember, we're going to get pushback. Someone say pushback. But that's what verse 11 says. Blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed are you when they insult you? Man, whoa. Like, that's not attractive. Why would I want to serve this Jesus? How do I deal with insults? Anybody face insults in your life? Some way or the other? It could be domestic insult. It could be insults at work. It could be insults with, you know, your friends. I don't know what it is. Family. What the Bible is saying is when they heap insults, when they say something mean about you. Right? What's normally what people do? People in the world is you stand up for what you believe in. You post it all over social media. You let people know how the world is tormenting you and putting you down and persecuting you. Or the other way around, you're Christians, you're, you believe what you're saying. You're, you, you, you know that you're close to, and you want your voice to be heard. And when you do, man, you, they lay down the hammer on you and they're like, oh, you're not supposed to say it that way. What do I do, Pastor, when, when somebody starts hurling insults at me? When I'm insulted, when I'm put down, I heard somebody say this once, if I start, and here's, here's the gist of it, if I start insulting, I know five languages, all right, out of the five languages, if I start insulting one of you guys in a language that you don't understand, okay, you're not going to be offended by it. You're not going to be offended by it. Am I talking to somebody? I can scream, I can shout, I can be animated. I can enunciate my words loud and clear and you wouldn't understand a word of it. Why? Because you might laugh back at me because you just don't understand what I'm trying to say. It's meaningful to me, but it's not meaningful to you. It's just words. And someone once told me this when I was dealing with something like this in my life. He said, man, if, if I begin to under, insult you in another language, it means nothing because it's you who puts meaning and interprets the word, words that come out of my mouth. Am I talking to somebody? You give meaning to it. You have the, you have the key. You have the, the, and I tell my two girls all the time, they're in this phase where they just annoy each other and we get annoyed. I'm a three-year-old. Ta-da! Mickey's annoying me! And Mickey gets a kick out of it. My six-year-old, six she's like, I'm going to milk this. Like, she loves it when she reacts. Am I, don't you know those people that annoy you and when you react, they go more? <laughs> Some of you are looking at your husbands and like, you. He's talking about you. <laughs> Ron's saying, it's my wife. And Rizzy's crying, and I look at Rizzy, the three-year-old, the younger one, and I'm like, what do you say? Parents, what do you tell them? Ignore her. Okay, Dada. She goes, na-na-na-boob, na-na-na-na-na-na. It lasts for one minute. The ignoring lasts for one minute. And the older one goes back to annoying her. Dada, I'm like, girl, you annoy me now. If you begin to put meaning to whatever, and some of us are so gifted and talented that we put meaning that other people didn't even put in the first place themselves. Like, like they didn't even mean it, and you're like, no, 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 that's exactly what they meant, pastor. 
You have this unique gifting. I don't, I don't know where. It's like this gifting of revelation. You're like, I exactly know what they meant. When you respond and react to insults, you add value to them. When you ignore, when you squash, when you give it into the hands of the Lord, when you walk past it, you give it and say, God, you know what, you handle, you handle this, I'm not ad- attaching any value to it. Those words will not touch you, they lose power immediately. That's what John 17, 16 says, it says, you are not off the world, even as I am not off this world. He says, think in my way. Your, your mind should work on the, on the level that I am at. Like, I am not of this world. I don't walk according. Do you know why Jesus was unaffected by people tormenting him for three years? Because his eyes were on the prize. His eyes were, he, when people said, hey, let me make you king. Wow, that's amazing. Let me give you this promotion. Wow, that's amazing. But you got to do this and this and this and this and this. <sighs> Sounds very tempting. All right, I'll do it. How many of us compromise? And Jesus was like, I'm, and, and the people were like, we'll make you king. And Jesus was like, man, my kingdom is not of this earth. It's like, I don't care how attractive you make it. I don't care how beautiful it is. I don't care how amazing it is, but I stick to what I say, that my calling is different. I am not of this world. I don't think like you do. I don't believe in what you believe. I am made different. I am built different. The way I look at blessing is not the way that you look at blessing. You ready for the twist? Jesus follows that up with this commandment. Up till now, there was no commandments whatsoever. Do this, do this, do this, nothing. He said, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are you, eventually is what he says. And then verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they, for, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He looks at us and says, man, th- th- rejoice and be glad. Look at all these insults and this persecution. And what does he say? Someone say rejoice. Now, ain't that an easy thing to do? Nope. Eh. Not really. What's a blessing to a house? Like, like, like to the world, blessing is usually a house. It's a full, full fridge, pantry full of chips, right? A job, a secure job, a car. Come on, I'm not talking to somebody. This is what the world tells you is blessed. Jesus says, blessed are you when people laugh at you. Blessed are you when people curse you. Blessed are you when people hurl insults at you. Blessed are you when people talk behind your backs. Blessed are you when people stab you in the back and spread lies about you. He says, rejoice and be glad. Like, is it just me or is that a weird command? What do we rejoice and be glad at at birthday parties? Come on, am I talking to somebody? We're happy when somebody gives us a good compliment. When we're here in the house of God, when we're worshiping, we're rejoicing. And we're, when we're at football games, when we see the Cowboys actually win, we're like, yes, let's go, Dak. When your candidate gets elected, Jesus is on the throne. Amen. God bless you. Oh, wait. But when he doesn't, I don't know. It was rigged for sure. But the Bible says rejoice and be glad when you get persecuted. 
I can tell you, man, there, there are numerous occasions where people have lied about me, where I've been put down. And you know, sometimes you wish that Christians got your back and people that go to your church got your back and people that are supposed to love you and people that are supposed to support you are the ones that are good. And those are the ones that dig the dagger deeper into you. Anybody been there before? How do we deal with persecution and slander and lies like Christ, like, like Christ does? How do you deal with that? How are you supposed to be peacemaking? How are we supposed to, in the right mind, you know, be happy and rejoice and be glad and be joyful when we lose friends? When people walk out on us because we walked in on Jesus? How are we supposed to rejoice when HR is mad at you because of the values that you have? How am I supposed to rejoice when family members are mad and livid because I got baptized and said yes to Jesus? Jesus doesn't say be happy. He says rejoice and be glad. You know that word rejoice means over exceedingly, abundantly. Be happy in all the persecution that you go through. Why? One simple reason. Not because I am your God. Not because I love you. Not because I care for you. Jesus gives you one reason and one reason alone. You know what the reason is? Your reward is in heaven. For the Christian, Jesus says, you don't do what you do for the plaudits, for the, for the hand claps, for the appreciation, for the, for the positive reinforcement that the world offers to you. He says, you live for the audience of one. I don't know how many of you find your motivation power in that, but I sure do. It takes a lot of burden off my shoulders. That's the way I look at it. It takes a lot of stress, a lot of pressure off my shoulders because I don't need to perform for anybody anymore. I don't need to put on a face and make sure that people are happy and people are joyful. It takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders as a pastor because I'm not trying to, gr I'm not trying to grow a church full of people, full of numbers, overflowing three and four and five services. I'm growing a church that I can be honest to, that I can be open to, that I can preach the gospel to, that I can preach the truth to. And I know that we're building a healthy and a strong body of Christians and believers of Jesus Christ. It takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders because I don't need to please anymore. I, I did that. I did that for a while. I did that. I want to please a group of people. I want to please. I, I don't want to do this and this and this and this. And I was making God ashamed more than I was. And, and God says, man, what are you doing this for? Paul says this, Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. He says, what are you going through? It's just minuscule. It's so small. It's nothing compared to the glory and the, the blessing and eternity. Come on, y'all. If there's one thing that you have to keep in mind as Christians and believers is eternity. The sorrow may last for the night. The pressure may last for the night. The health issue that you're going through may last for the night. The persecution that you're going through may last for the night. The people that don't like you may last for this job. Come on, am I talking to somebody? The people that, 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 that persecute you, put you down, that insult you, that hurl insults. All of these people are temporary in your life. But I'm a Christian and I believe in eternity that one day I will see my Jesus face to face. And that's what keeps me going, church. Not people. It's it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
You know the road that many people like to take? Just be quiet and shut up. Don't be a peacemaker. Just, just be you. Just be invisible. Just be quiet. Worship team, you guys can get ready. Or the other road is get mad, get angry, show wrath, show your true self. Or it's play victim, sulk. That's the other emotion. Or it's play politics. Let's start using the language of the world. Let's soften it down. Let's play it down. Maybe that's how we win them. Or do what Jesus told you to do, celebrate. Rejoice. It's the hardest command, y'all. When they say you're bigots, yay! Come on, say it again. Am I talking to somebody? You're narrow-minded. Come on, praise the Lord, brother. I am blessed to be narrow-minded. Because that's the way Jesus said. It's a narrow road. It is not. Ooh, come on. I can do some corny jokes, but I'm not going to do it right now. He says, feel joy when slandered and belittled. Joy and gladness when you're persecuted. Why? Because of the eternal reward. He says, you're not the first ones. There were people that went before you that did it. How many of you are living counterculturally? How many of you going, are going against the, against the tide? It takes guts. It takes, it takes ability. It takes boldness. And that's what I'm calling the church to today, is for you to be bold, for you to be brave, for you to look at God and say, God, I chose you and I'm not ashamed about that. And if I have to stand up for what I believe in, and if I have to profess what I believe in, I will do that because I don't want to lead so many people astray. It's time for the church to stand up. You want to persecute me? Go ahead and persecute me. I'll clap for you. I'll rejoice. I'll be glad. As a church, if there are people that persecute us as a church, let's be glad. Let's not look at it, look at it as something that's going to put us down. Let's look at it as something that God is using to build us and grow us stronger. Some of us need to build our immunity, our Christian immunity. We were built with it, y'all. We were built with healthy lives. We were built with the healthy ability to say no. But sin looks at us and says, we can compromise. We can give it up. Living counterculturally means that you have to say no sometimes to substance abuse when there's, when there's peer pressure around you that says, do it, do it, do it, do it. Living cross counterculturally looks at people that want to put you down and want to want to spiritually put you down, want to torment you, want to persecute you and say, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to flow. It says no to cheating. It says no to compromises at work. It says no to shortcuts. It says no to cheating on taxes. Because when we have Jesus, we have everything, church. We're called to be, we're called to be peacemakers. You want to stand up to your feet? Jesus was crucified, buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises up, appears to his disciples, commissions them. Matthew 28, he says, go 
go and make disciples of all nations. When the day had fully come, in Acts 2, verses 1, the Bible says they all came together in one place in one accord. The Holy Spirit fell down like fire and filled them with anointing, filled them with power, filled them with boldness. Someone say boldness. It's amazing when a Christian walks in boldness. The day the Holy Spirit fell down, they were empowered. Someone say empowered. They were empowered in the Spirit. The disciples started teaching. They started healing people. The Bible says when their shadows started falling on people, they were starting to get healed. They were walking into the temple and people were like being healed. And the spiritual elite of the time, they were offended. You think people started getting offended in this century? No, they were offended back then. When Jesus moves, people will get offended. When the presence of the God, when the presence of God is manifested, people will get offended. Where there is a dancing David, there is a Michael that says, I don't like that. I'm being honest here. There is a society and a culture and even a church culture that will tell you that's not okay, that's not okay, this is not okay. But it takes some bold people to look at your circumstances as I will not be influenced. I will not be bent. These young men that, and women that ran for their lives, one encounter with God, they were empowered in the Holy Spirit. Being empowered in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says they started doing all this stuff. And one day these guys were mad. They were livid. The scribes and the spiritual elite. They were in the temple courts in Judaism Central. Man, they are infiltrating. Like they are taking over our culture. Huge crowds followed them. The Sanhedrin, the religious people, the chief priests, they were jealous. So what do they do? They arrest them and they put them in jail. And they say, don't you ever preach this message again. Long story short, the angel of the Lord that night comes into that, that jail, looks at them and says, guys, get up, we're going. They're like, where? We're going, just get up, let's go. In stocks, in chains. The Bible says the angel of the Lord got them out and he said, I'm getting you out on one condition, that you will not stop preaching. He said, here's what you're going to go to go do tomorrow. I'm going to release you now. You're going to go back in the same place they arrested you in. This is radical. The same place they put you down. The same place they insulted you. The same place they dragged you through the courts in handcuffs. In the same place I want you to go back there and keep preaching without changing your message. Don't tone it down. Don't adulterate it. Come on. So the next day morning, the jailers wake up. They're like, let's bring the guys. Let's bring them out and let's imprison. Let's, let's give them a sentence. Let's put them to... And they go and they look in the prison. The lock is still on. All right. The jailers are still standing where they were last night, but the men are nowhere to be found. And somebody says, oh, those guys, they're out there preaching the same message they were preaching. Are you sure this wasn't a dream? 
So they go back, they're super ashamed. They don't want to make a scene. They don't want to cause a scene because here are men that was arrested yesterday preaching in the same spot. Oh, come on, somebody. When favor is upon you, my God is the lifter of your head. He will make you shine. He will lift your head even in the places that people will put you down. So they go back and they didn't want to make a big deal out of it. They bring bring them out. They're like, come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go. So they, they take them back. And this is the message in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. And they left the prayer. They look at them and say, don't you ever preach this message again where we are going to slog you. Now, now, now here's the thing. They come back, all right? There's a man that looks at him and says, man, don't, don't kill him. Don't kill them because if you kill them, they're going to be martyrs. This Christianity doesn't need martyrs. Let's, let's punish them real bad. So you know what they do? They flog them. 39 lashes each. Okay, we're not talking about a belt. We're talking about a real bad lashing. 39 lashes taking their skin off. Not a light beating. And the next verse, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They did not cease. They had a resolve that said, all we care about is Jesus. I don't know where you've been put down, church. I don't know where you've been, you've been ostracized. I don't know where you've been persecuted. But I want to remind you something. In the Garden of Eden, there was peace. That's where peace started. And in Revelation, it's going to end with peace being restored. And in between that is war. And God looks at you and me and says, you are the peacemakers. You're the peacemakers. I want the worship team to just lead us in a few moments of worship, and as we do, there's anybody that's struggling with this idea of peacemaking, and it's radical, it's radical, it's hard. For some of us, we've been put down. Pastor, like, man, I can't forgive that. Pastor, I can't let that go. Pastor, they did me dirty. Pastor, they, they literally put me to shame. Pastor, I was that person and in those chains. I was the person that was I was the person that was dragged through the market square, put down, persecuted. That was me, Pastor. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can forget. I don't know if I can let go. I want to remind you something. As long as you would not let go, your eyes are on man. Your eyes will never be fixed on Jesus eyes will never be fixed on Jesus if you want deliverance and breakthrough in whatever you're going through in your life you gotta take your eyes off the hurt eyes off the past eyes off man and turn your eyes to Jesus because like those men said it was all worth it it's all worth it the persecution the slander the backbiting the step backstabbing all of it all the persecution that I, it was worth it I have pastors today in India sitting in jail 
for the cause of Christ is sitting in jail today not being able to preach the gospel and you know what they're not sitting there and saying why did this happen to me that's not what they're saying I have pastors sitting in India and they're not saying woe unto me they're not saying why did God do this to me doesn't God love me there are pastors that are saying thank you Lord because one person entered the kingdom of God because of me being imprisoned the pastor is happy about the 25 people that he baptized the night that the men came to his house and arrested him in the middle of the night his, his daughters and his wife watching him dragged out of his house beaten in the public square before being handed over to the authorities and he's saying 25 people came to know Jesus that's all that matters I'll see them in eternity that's radical and in the light of that the persecutions that we go through and the people that we need to forgive and the things that we need to let go seem so minuscule yet our egos will not allow us to do that and Jesus says blessed are you if you are a peacemaker go and make peace make peace within yourself Close your eyes with me, church, as the worship team leads us in a few moments of worship. I'm going to be available in the back. Chris and Nissy are going to be available for prayer. If there's anybody that just needs to be prayed over, you're having a hard week, you're praying for the week ahead of you, it's daunting you. There's a lot to be done. There's things that we believe in prayer in this church. And I don't want you to hesitate. There's healing where there's authenticity. There's healing where there's vulnerability. There's healing where you say, I need you, Jesus. I need a touch from you. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.